talent shortages in the UK has always been there for, for at least a decade, if not more. Since COVID, the growth that the tech industry has experienced is the usual sort of growth you'd expect in a decade, so that those shortages became even more pronounced. The people are just getting poached left, right and centre for, for, you know, stupid more money. A small talent pool and there is a lot of need and, you know, and most of us agency owners end up with empty chairs, which hurts more than anything else. It's your job to make sure that you're integrating them culturally as well. Welcome to the Confessions of an Agency Owner podcast. I'm Chris Ailey, your host, and today my guests are David Wayne Heapy and Bashir Smahi. After setting up their agency, Best Response Media, in 2009, one of their biggest challenges was the struggle to find talent in the UK. So they changed their business model to remote first and built distributed teams overseas. Now, this was long before COVID. So when the world went into lockdown, they were already one step ahead of everyone else. David and Bashir sold their agency to Brave Bison in April 2022. And after exiting their agency, they used that experience to set up the recruitment firm Prodigy, where they promised to bring the world's best talent in development, design and marketing from across the globe. As a result of the pandemic and increased demand for digital skills, talent has become even harder to find. So I was keen to find out how hiring overseas remote staff might be a solution for UK agencies. Have a listen. Uh, David and Bashir, hi, how are you both? Hi, Chris. Yeah, very well, thank you. Good, good. So to set some context for the episode, I think it'd be really great to hear um, how you built your previous agency, Best Response Media, um, using this distributed teams model, because um, this was long before COVID, right? Um, and what inspired that decision? Yeah, good question. Um, for us, it was, um, it was merely the fact that it was hard to find good people. Uh, our agency, take a step back, was started in 2009. Uh, we've been growing uh, very fast year over year, and it got to a point that our biggest barrier to growth was just finding the talent. And I'm sure many people who run agencies will will feel the same way that this is probably one of the hardest things that they have to deal with on a day to day is keep finding good people, uh, replacing talents that leave because of typical churn. But also, as you get more clients, you need more people. So uh, we started looking uh, at um, um, offshore sort of as a source of production talent, people like developers and QAs, probably eight years ago, nine years ago. And from then, we started, uh, we realized that it was such a, a great way of finding good talent in a cost-effective way. Uh, and it's just snowballed since then. And we carried on uh, growing our uh, distributed teams uh, overseas. Um, in the beginning with development, then design, then projects management as a last sort of uh, bastion that, you know, we always were a bit nervous about because we, we had like a hybrid AM, PM type uh, role where they had a lot of clients contact, uh, contacts and we thought, is it going to be a good thing to kind of introduce clients to people who are not based in the UK? This is pre-COVID where people were thinking, you know, people were more nervous about dealing with somebody who's not in the same country or the same town. Uh, but to our surprise, everyone was delighted because we always made sure that uh, the talent that we hired was top-notch. They were very good people, good at what they do, spoke very well, good communication skills, and the clients just got the, the results they needed and wanted. So they were very happy to deal with somebody regardless of where, where they were based. Um, 
yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's pretty much how, how it went. I think it's worth it's worth pointing out as well. Like like Bashir says, we started with development, and you know we we learned the lessons and we we eventually got it to work really well, which was fantastic because it meant we could hire really good quality developers much faster and at a much more affordable rate as we could find them in London. Um, at the time, and you know, all the way through our agency, we were working with Magento, which became Adobe Commerce. At that time was when Magento was incredibly popular with clients with development agencies. So finding good Magento developers was really, really difficult. Um, and then off the top of that, Bashir was always pushing me enthusiastic about, oh, but what about these other areas? And I'm naturally quite stubborn. So the area that he, the next area he wanted to go was design. And I was like, no, no, design. London's the place for design. It's the best place in the world for design. We can't go anywhere else. And one day I came to Bashir and my tail between my legs after we'd been desperately trying to find a UX designer in London. I was like, I think I'm going to try looking. <laughs> I'm going to try looking elsewhere. Um, but to cut a long story short, we ended up building a design team in Serbia and they were top class, um, really, really good. Uh, they stayed with us for an awful long time and again, cost effective. So then it was a bit of a bigger light bulb moment for me to think, well, where else can we look to, to get more people? And it was the digital marketing team. So we looked at the SEO roles, uh, technical SEO, outreach, uh, content writers. And again, we built a, a digital marketing team across Serbia, Croatia, Romania. And then like Bashir said, the final one was around the project managers and the client facing people. Um, and again, we were just struggling to find good PMs in London at a reasonable rate in a reasonable time frame. And we were finding, we were just blown away by the, by the quality. Uh, we were continually surprised about the education level, the English, the, the attitude, everything. It was just the work ethic. Yeah. The work yeah, ethic is exactly. a big one as well. So by the time we sold. In, in the UK, did you have a hub that sort of then, you know, to start with that then branched out overseas? Oh yeah, we had, we had a, a big central London office and we still had a core team here uh, all the way to the end. The leadership team was all based in London. Um, uh, Pre-COVID, uh, a little bit pre-COVID, the whole PM team was based in, in London. We had obviously lead developers and, and project leads, but slowly, slowly, it happened organically, but slowly, slowly, our distributed teams became bigger than our London teams. And in due course, we had literally just like a kernel of senior leadership and, and heads pretty much based in the UK and the rest was almost uh, all distributed um, over over a period of time. And that was, uh, and, and COVID, I mean, again, when COVID hit, most companies never experienced working from home or, uh, or being in lockdown or, you know, for everybody it was something new. But for us, we always had sort of the process and, uh, and uh, the, the, the sort of the, the work processes technology to kind of uh, deal with this so for us it was just like obviously obviously it wasn't easy but because of so you were one step ahead of everyone else basically at that point. yeah but but it was that we were prepared for it we, we could work very easily from home and, and from the office and yeah that served us very well so that first hire i mean what what made you choose serbia i mean how did that first hire come about because i think the first step in all of this for any agency looking to hire abroad the That's first step was not Serbia. The first step, we got it wrong many, many times before we right. got it right. It took a long time. We, we've tried various things and, and yeah, there was a lot of trial and error. We, I think the first one um, was in India, if I remember correctly, and that did not yeah. go well. Uh, 
our interviewing process, our assessment process, everything, you know, uh, in the beginning, we, we didn't know many things that we, we know now, and we got a few, few of them uh, wrong before we got it right. But in due course, we ended up having uh, a very smooth process. We had people who kind of, their sole job is to always do outreach and find the right people, you know, that we want to kind of approach. And we worked on our um, agency brand, so it's attractive to potential employees. That was a big deal. Uh, uh, we uh, we worked on our assessment process, our onboarding. Uh, it, it's a whole thing. Eventually, it was a business within a business. That's how Prodigy came about. Uh, eventually, we realized, hang on, we have a recruitment business within the agency. And yeah. that's when we split the two and, and opened that up to other uh, customers and agencies. So, and that's what you're doing now, right? So, so Prodigy, effectively, you're helping agencies and businesses source... Um, talent from from development, marketing, design, etc., from, from overseas. Is that is that primarily the business model? Exactly, exactly. We help we help agencies and other tech uh, companies build distributor teams. Listen, um, the talent shortages in the UK has always been there for for at least a decade, if not more. In the last since COVID, the growth that the tech industry has experienced in in two three years is the usual sort of growth you'd expect in a decade. So that those shortages became even more pronounced and this seems to be the best solution for any company looking to level up in terms of talent to, to, and, and skills to kind of grow but also to grow margins and 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 uh, to be more profitable um, so yeah we started doing that's how project came about and, and now we're doing this full-time uh, both me and David and uh, we help companies um, kind of do distribution better um, and, and, and build these teams so do you, you advise them through that whole process, do you? Because, I mean, like you said, those mistakes that you made early on, that's what scares all of us agency owners, right? But then at the same time, the business model, like you say, in terms of if you're hiring someone that's remote and they're 35 miles away in London, for example, mm -hmm. but are only willing to come to the office or, or, or come in and, you know, once a month or once every three months you may as well look further afield, is, is what you're saying, right? So. Well, and funny enough, you should say that. We were just speaking to somebody yesterday, and they had a that we have helped them build a distributor team, and he had a client's pitch, and he had to call some staff from Eastern Europe and some from Manchester, and I think the flight from the Eastern Europe was the same price as a train from Manchester. Yeah, yeah, I can well so, believe it. And it took about the same time <laughs> as well, so that was quite funny. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's exactly that. We, we, we understand uh, our clients' businesses and understand... Because everyone has a different setup, different needs, um, um, technologically, or, or even to do with data, or to do with, with the way they approach their clients. So we try to find solutions that fit each each business differently. And we have a number of ways to uh, distribute. It's not one thing, you know, from the way you hire, which country you hire, EU versus non-EU. There's quite a bit to it. So we, we try to kind of uh, create bespoke solutions for, for our clients to to help them expand uh, the distributor teams. In terms of like, I think I've got a lot of questions, and I'm sure a lot of other people would as well. Like, how does things like tax work, pension, national insurance? How, how do all these and benefits, for example, how, how do all they work with overseas workers? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you need to treat well, overseas workers. You need to treat them exactly like you treat your your, your UK uh, employees. So you need to think of these things. Uh, different approaches, different setups require. Uh, for example, if you are having 
just one or two remote workers in different countries, it doesn't make any sense to have a local entity there. So uh, alternatives are either you treat them as freelancers, but uh, from a legal point of view, so they handle their own taxes and everything, and you pay them uh, a gross salary and they handle the rest they of it. They handle their own taxes. Uh, or if you have more of a larger presence in a, in a, in a country, you can have your own entity and we can help you set that up and, and whatnot. Different countries present different tax regimes. They're all very different. Uh, and it also depends what are your needs in terms of like time zones, if you need to be kind of near shore versus further afield. Um, for countries where you want to still have an employment uh, contract with your employees, but you don't want to create an entity, there's also solutions for that, like employment of record companies or employer of record companies rather. Um, so yeah, there are various solutions. It's, there's many routes, many ways to do it, uh, uh, and and every single uh, agency has a different or, or best route to, to do it. If you if you're looking for a very um, sort of uh, highly skilled uh, somebody in something very niche, it's not going to be your choice really to go, actually I want them to be in this place and I want to do it this way. You go yeah. after where the talent is and, and the talent can be anywhere. Uh, but if you're looking to build a hub in say, I don't know, Bulgaria or something like this, then you have to kind of look at you know the size of it and, and you can create your own office. And so, so the, the different spectrum is very wide and there is a, a right solution for different businesses. Yeah, an important point to touch upon as well is Bashir mentioned about hiring them as a freelancer. Sometimes when we speak to people the first time, they say things like, oh, we don't like to outsource or working with freelancers can, can be make us a bit, a bit nervous. They're only, they're, and this was our experience firsthand, they're only freelancers or contractors in, this, in the legal sense of the word, but spiritually they're part of the team. They're, they, they consider themselves to be an employee. They work for you full time. Um, they're there 40 hours a week, you know, five days a week or whatever your time frame is. It's your job to make sure that you're integrating them culturally as well. And there's loads yeah, of things you can that. do. Yeah, mm -hmm. so for example, because we ended up having people in about eight or nine countries plus the UK. So say once a quarter we'd do like company socials. We'd, do, we'd just do little things that say we're going to go bowling. Everybody goes bowling in their local area we obviously give them a budget and if they're there on their own they can bring a friend or a partner or whatever then we take photos and share stuff on slack so it's almost like a virtual get together we do the same things with christmas and other sort of important times of the year and these all these little things along with having slack channels for like because everybody watches the same programs and reads the same books and watches the same films now so there's always these common points of interest for us to actually have a bit of a water cooler moment and that stuff really works and then the big thing we would do once a year was bring everybody together for a global meetup. Um, so we'd pick somewhere fairly central, whether that was like Morocco or Greece or somewhere, and we'd have a few days of, you know, a bit of a mini conference and team building stuff, and then and then lots of fun and just team bonding. And it was yeah, worked phenomenally well in just boosting that morale, making people feel they're part of the company, being able to have a voice and give opinions on things. Another big thing as well, actually, we used to do um, these quarterly retros. So obviously if you're doing uh, agile uh, project delivery, you know, whether it's a week or two weekly sprints and you have the daily standups and then you do retros on those and that's all great. But what we decided to do was much broader 
company retros every quarter and the purpose of that was anything's on the table to talk about it's not just project specific so we'd send out a questionnaire maybe a couple of weeks before the date give people a few nudges and we tended to get about an 80 percent response rate which is pretty good mm-hmm. and then we would basically pick the top three things which either were the most common or we thought oh, these are things we need to to address and it was a big big open forum of everybody getting together on the video and go you know, a bit of an intro, let's talk about some celebra- um, stuff we can celebrate and then let's go. What are the things we spoke about the last quarter? Who's been made accountable for them and how, how much have we progressed? And what are these three things we want to talk about? And me and Bashir would gradually just try and take a bit of a back seat and let there be a bit more of a self-governing thing so people can speak up, give their ideas, volunteer. Do you know what? This is a thing that we... Uh, that, that maybe I can take on and, and look at whether it's creating a new process document or a new report or something like that. And again, it's just, it's a simple, very easy thing to do, but it has massive value in just bringing people together and those remote people feeling like, oh, actually my voice is valued here. I'm not just a hired resource churning out copy or whatever it is. I'm actually part of a bigger thing and I'm part of growing this company. Yeah, because I think if, you, you know your initial gut instinct would be look at delivery teams or look at you know people that like you say a copywriter or or, or something rather than a, an integral part of your team like a um like a, you know part of your leadership team or project manager for example that's pulling it all together it's, it's it feels easier to sort of outsource or not outsource but out, you know overseas yeah. um to a specific skill that can just deliver the work so i guess in terms of that first step yeah i mean is that what you see most companies do as a as sort of a safe first bit or well to, to be honest with you i think most companies will jump into it when their back is against the wall which is a shame most companies will wait until you know what i need somebody who could do this thing and i can't hire and i've had this empty seat for a period of time and i'm going to start hurting either because my staff are getting overworked or my clients are getting annoyed because there's going to be delays uh, why i advise people is to kind of be uh, proactive with it and look into it and take time to kind of do it and do it properly uh, build up build, build the processes that are needed to support a, a distributed team it's not just somebody and you kind of set them on their way and start sending them tasks via email it's a little bit more than that but that said i mean remote working is a reality most companies are now you know, if not semi, mostly remote. Uh, so it's not new to anybody. Most companies have done it. Some companies have done it well. Some companies have had some uh, bad experiences and are a little bit more nervous about doing it again. But the majority of people we're talking to have already some distributed in some capacity or another, and, and they want more of it, you know. Um, so for those who have never attempted, I think, they're going to need to because they, you know, it's a competitive advantage to kind of have a greater talent pool than just whatever is close to your geographical location. As yeah. I said earlier, it's an opportunity to level up and, and compete better. No, I think well, yeah, I mean, like you say, I mean, um, most agents, I mean, like ours, ours included, we're in, you know, just north of London, and COVID allowed us to suddenly widen our talent pool, and we've now got people people around the country. They're all in the UK, mm-hmm. um, but like you say, at the moment we're we're near London and. You know, you're looking at a team member perhaps that wants a London wage. They want to live in a suburb of London, uh, and that's a very expensive wage. But, y- y- you know, y- you're, what are the benefits now of hiring someone in Edinburgh or Glasgow or, or Serbia? You know, yeah. and, it's, and you've got to weigh up that, I think, as, a, as an option. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the WOW um, benchmark report, and apparently 44% of agencies started hiring remote uh, yeah. as a result of COVID. So, you know, yeah. everyone's embraced it. Um, 
completely. But I think, yeah, what are the, um, you know, when it comes to collaboration and building that team spirit, then, like you say, you, you did those sort of quarterly meetups and things like that. How important is it to sort of, you know, really get the rest of the team on board? And, and, and what activities and stuff would you recommend or processes would you recommend that, that teams can do to really integrate that, especially as people are moving further apart? Yeah, uh, yeah um, it's, it's a good question. I think first things first, you need to make sure that your team, uh, whatever they are, they kind of, there is a cross-pollination of knowledge and agencies all, you know, especially when there is a, a, a more junior members of staff that need to learn and normally in an office they'll be sitting next to somebody asking questions. So you need to create as many of those pathways for communication as possible, uh, whether I don't want to kind of, you know, advertise any specific tool, but things like Slack or your project management tools and, and various things you need to make sure from a technology point of view, your technology stack is there to support good, efficient communication and, and learning from each other. And if it means creating, uh, putting time on a diary to have, you know, uh, sharing experiences on projects, things that will just happen naturally if you're in an office environment, people will talk about what they're doing. You, you need, as an agency owner, to think, what are these things? Am I missing out on some of that sort of... And if you do that, and you do that regularly and in a good way, then your team will feel close even though they're far, even though somebody, whatever they, they might be. Onboarding process is crucial. When you onboard somebody, in, again, when they're in the office, they can come and ask questions. You need to have a solid process for that, especially if they are based uh, remotely. Um, uh, from a work point of view, uh, you need to make sure that you know the, the, the sort of the the, the, um, the, the managerial or the, the, the managers within the agency, people who are looking after remote stuff. Sometimes your managers themselves might be remote based. Uh, how are they assessing people for performance, but also an outwards, but also for for well-being and whether they're happy and you know having their voice heard, like David was saying earlier. So it's it's, it's a whole thing. There, there is you know a, a whole process that needs to be created, but then reviewed regularly. Speak to people, speak to your people, uh, wherever they are, and tell them you know what is it, what is working, what is not working, and 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 act on those things. And by giving people voice that is really what creates culture within a company it's not like a pool table in a room or or whatever it is it is yeah. it's, it's people having a voice and, and being heard yeah i mean i think it's so important isn't it because the danger you've got is is as more people work remote the only things that become important are the work that they're doing if they're not if they're not in that culture they're just going to work from home for the highest bidder right it, it, it doesn't matter who they work for Exactly, exactly. And by sharing the bigger picture with your staff, for example, I don't know, if you are an SEO agency, you, you want to achieve certain objectives or you want to win certain awards or you want to be the best at something, tell them this and tell them what does success look like, what are our objectives, and make them see that whatever they're doing right here is contributing to the whole thing, to the whole, and, and by having that they will be part of the team in a more meaningful way, for sure. Yeah, but also one point on the... Um... The point about working from home for a highest bidder, that is so much more acutely felt in the UK, in the major cities. There's a lot of research that's gone into this and essentially everybody has a limit to how much money they need to have an impact on their happiness and satisfaction. And once you go beyond the limit, it's not actually going to have any more of an impact on, on their, their well-being. The problem is, like you've already mentioned, London's very expensive, as are most of the UK cities now. So if you're in London and you're earning, you know, 50, 60K and someone comes and offers you another 10 grand, you're going to jump at them because it's going to have such a massive impact to your livelihood. 
Well, the only thing that's going to change is the work that you're doing, right? That's, that's, yeah, exactly. That's but if you're in somewhere like Belgrade or, um, you know, or somewhere in Romania or somewhere like that, you're, these wages, are, they're already very nice and you can already live a very nice life there. So as long as the company's nice that you're working for and you're being treated well and you feel like you're part of this bigger thing and you're loving the work and the clients and all the rest of it, I know, nothing's, I know it's not all 100% perfect, but, you know, more often than not, then, they, then these hammerings that they're getting, they're not going to respond even to maybe a few more grand offer because it's like, well, I don't need any more money. Obviously, you know, I'd like annual pay rises and things like that, but I'm not desperate for, for the next thing because I can, I'm living a fantastic life and I'm enjoying what I do. And that was another thing we noticed. I mean, our retention rates were phenomenal. It was over five years um, because of all this stuff that, that, that we did um, and because we didn't have that pressure on you know, the, the big network agency around the corner offering them 20 grand on there. Well, it's the biggest threat, honestly. It's the biggest yeah. threat right now to us agencies. Is that the people are just getting poached left, right and centre for, for, you know, stupid more money that you can't... Yeah. It's like musical chairs, you know, there is, except there's a lot more chairs than there are people. It's yeah. reverse musical chairs. So there's like a, a small talent pool and there is a lot of need and... You know, and most of us agency owners end up with empty chairs, which hurts more than anything else. But are we in danger of creating that problem, making it worse? Because how do you then develop your own talent remotely? I think that's a big challenge and it's, it's a scary challenge because if you're bringing someone in with no knowledge, you, you absorb so much information and all those learnings come from what's going on around you. And, you know, how, how do we stop that? just dying this whole generation of, of new execs and new people coming through this new talent because we're then having to pay more money to recruit more senior people because we can't train them or we're having to move abroad i mean what what are your views on that i think it's about proactive you know strategic thinking uh, we know you know anybody who's been running an agency for a certain amount of time knows and can forecast the level of growth they're going to be experiencing and what is the team of next year, what does next year team or what does it need to look like? And instead of waiting until somebody hands in their notice or, you know, winning that big project before starting the hire, I think, you know, a bit of forward thinking where you think to yourself, okay, I need to grow this team at least by like five, six members by next year or 10 members or two members or whatever it is. And I know that somebody who's good within a year, they can start kind of producing good work. Yeah. So I can start then hiring grads and, and, and training them, even if their output is going to be just helping in the beginning, but with a view that maybe in six months to a year, these people are going to be actually uh, productive team members and they can be remote as well, or they can be whatever it is, and they start learning from, so, so creating your own, sort of training your own people and preparing them for what you need next year. And that's what I advise most people. And that's yeah. what we've done. Exactly. I was, sorry, Michelle, I was just going to say, and that's what we did as well. So we, we built a fairly large um, development team among others where, we would have that, that pyramid structure of the seniors, the mids and the juniors, and we bring in juniors with the view that we're not actually going to be able to get any billable work from them for a while, but we'll be training them in the background. And obviously, again, it's cost-effective if you're building, growing your own homegrown talent. But the mm. point is you can grow your own homegrown talent remotely as well as, um, you know, in the UK. Yeah, because I think you know, there is a squeeze as well, obviously, especially with the economic climate at the moment. We've, you know, as an agency, I mean, I, I did it in the early days, you used to hire first, right? And then win the business second. But then as you become wise to it, you sort of think, well, I've got to try and win the business first and then and then fill the seats. But then there's a, you've got to get that blend right. You've always got to have this always on recruitment so that you're ready. 
Um, but I think, you know, yeah, to develop the next next generation, like you say, and bringing these people through, you've, you've almost got to over-invest now and, and get the talent in there first, right? Because that's going to protect you longer term. 100%. And Chris, I can tell you, if there's one thing that I say, in my opinion, is the worst thing an agency owner can do, is rush hires. Mm-hmm. Rush hires are more expensive. Rush hires... You know, you tend to get what you tend to take what you can get as opposed to what you really want. And by thinking a little bit long term and being a bit strategic, you'll you'll be hiring a little bit more cost effectively. You'll be bringing in sort of very good uh, talent that you can build into what you need it to, to to be. And yeah, your margins will be higher, but also you'll have good, more reliable people. But it's all about t- t- taking the time ahead of when you need it and start forecasting those needs, those people needs, and those talent needs, and acting on them. Uh, ahead of you needing them. You know, I think the problem is we're, we're in this situation where, like you say, you, you, with the best will in the world, you plan, but you've got recruiters taking your, your team and then you're having to hire in a hurry um, to try and fill those gaps again, aren't you? And it's, it's all getting a bit messy, really, in terms of panic hires at times and then they're not working out and then you're wasting a big recruitment fee on someone that might leave at the end of their probation or whatever it's... It's yes, really yes, tough, we, we, we've been victims of that as well. And, and I'm working with a lot of clients now, both David and I, and I can tell you, if you start thinking a little bit more strategically and thinking, okay, in six months I'm going to need this many people, and you start doing outreach in advance. So even when you have to do a rush hire, because you you know, like for an SEO agency, I don't know, uh, some of them might need one or two people almost every single month. Mm. So if you constantly kind of doing the outreach, you will never find yourself in a situation where like, you know what, I need to go to market today and I need to, if you're working on your brand identity and things like LinkedIn and you're an attractive employer, it's a lot easier to find good people. Uh, and uh, and also working with the right partner where the recruitment fees are not going to be too prohibitive. It's, you know, uh, we don't believe that a recruitment fee should be like a, a, a big sort of... Uh, punch in the liver that hurts you so much that you don't want to see a recruiter again. It should be kind of staggered. Uh, rebase period should be over a, a whole 12-month period, for example. That's what we offer at Prodigy. So things that will make this more uh, durable and a real viable solution as opposed to something where you, you know you just kind of stop the hemorrhage of people and find somebody immediately. Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing. I mean, recruiters must be having a field day right now. It's, it's, I'm making a lot of money in the UK especially, but like you say, that... I think to an employer, you want that backup because, like you say, like I said, sorry, the, the, they're always getting approached. Every single day, your team is going to be getting mm. approached by recruiters. So you've got to have that, that backup plan. And, and also, yeah, it's in danger of becoming a very high cost. So a solution, yeah, what is the solution? One is, like you say, train, train your own talent. The other is, is this option, which is perhaps start looking further afield. And for key employees, I mean, one other thing that I would advise is for people to kind of develop some sort of internal processes to assess who's at risk of leaving, uh, what employees are not particularly happy. There is a lot of signs to tell when somebody is not, you know, as engaged as they need to be. You know, they're not engaged in any long-term projects. They come right on time and leave right on time. Uh, They're not taking an interest in anything strategic about the business potentially, you know, delays in answering, whatever it is, uh, and, and identifying those people who are at risk of leaving and having honest conversations. Are you happy here? You know, or if you think that that's going to happen and start preparing, especially if it's key employees looking after big accounts or, 
or any accounts or mm. you know doing any meaningful work you, you kind of uh, as a team and within the managerial structure of your business or your agency you need to kind of have something to listen out for these signals that could signify that somebody's about to uh, to pick up and leave so you're not left uh, on the last, last minute and i think one of the really interesting things we spoke about last time we spoke was about sort of maybe using these hubs wasn't it so perhaps picking a geographic location and, and sourcing talent there and i think that's a great way of expanding almost internationally isn't it i mean what's, what's your experience of that are there any particular hubs in europe that people could look at um there, there are many and again it really depends on 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 what your needs are and what sort of talents you need for your agency but i always like to think that first steps is to hire remotely and, and distribute it but then if if it's going to become meaningful in terms of scale it makes sense to have them close to each other in one place. Even if they work, you know, semi-remotely, then you can create a, more of a culture around somewhere else, having a second location. Uh, and then you have more of a, an opportunity to kind of nurture talent, like we said earlier, sort of grads and bring them up through the ranks. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of places. And again, you don't want to be going to the place where everyone has gone. What happens is like what happens everywhere. Somewhere becomes popular and then... Yeah. You know, everyone goes there and, you know, pushes the prices up. Uh, so you have to look out for... And, but there, there's so many places that are good with good universities and, and good clusters of knowledgeable people in various skills. You just need to kind of identify where are those places for you as, a, as, a, as an agency. Yeah, what was interesting, Poland was probably one of the big ones um, in recent years where what it meant was so many more companies went and large international companies went and set up operations there. And that has a massive impact on the availability of talent and obviously the, the salaries as well. But mm -hmm. saying that, there's still so much more of a spread across the locations where you can still find good people, good universities, well-educated. So while we might have some countries, depending on the types of roles that we would probably start to look at, our resources, that is, um, we, we won't be too fixated on one particular location because obviously it just depends on we're doing a lot of resourcing all the time and it might be like, oh, well, actually we're getting a load of, we're finding a load of really cool people in Croatia at the moment or Romania. And then there's other just local things that can, can have an impact like Serbia. Serbian taxes um, are very, very high and the government more recently has been cracking down a lot more on, on people that are doing contracting locally in the same way that we had IR35 here. There's been similar things there. So still, there's still, it's still a good place to look and we're still finding people from there, but the thing is, it's changed a little bit, so it might not always be our first port of call now when we're looking for people. And so it's also just having a partner who's a bit more tuned into what is going on locally that we can we can kind of give that advice about, you know, where, where to start looking. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's why it's so important to use, to use someone like yourselves, right, as a third party, because going into this blind, like you say, is the legalities of it and, and what benefits and what areas are good and do they have laws and how does the tax impact you, etc. I think that's... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of complexities and, and you know, we can, we can help companies with that. But even we don't see certain things happening like Ukraine. I mean, I did not see... We did not see that happen. Uh, well, we, we had... literally... We, we, had a, we had someone in Ukraine and we had a conversation with them the day before the invasion and we'd have many conversations with them up to that point because we were obviously worried and make, wanted to make sure he was okay. It was like, no, I'm not, I'm not worried. We, we live under this threat. We've had this, this has been a, you know, a constant thing. We don't worry about this. It's, and then the next day, uh, things actually yeah, did change. Um, so it was, yeah, it was unexpected even really to the people that were there. They, they really didn't think it was going to happen. 
Are people still working in, you know, well, obviously still working in Ukraine, but I mean... We have, we, have, we, we have a lot of people that have moved out of Ukraine. They're still working for their employers. They're still working for our clients. Uh, but a lot of them have managed to get out and go different places. Mm. Some of them are still there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're not get, nobody's going to be rushing to put any hubs in there because the situation is uncertain. But sure. Yeah. And then in terms of like client perceptions, I think that's one of the other sort of obstacles that we'd like to think, again, as an agency owner, hello, this is, you know, a new person there at the other side of Europe. How, how do you address it? Is that still a thing? Is that what people still perceive? I think um, it's something that, yeah, we were really nervous about initially. And in the very early years, we used to do everything we could just to try and shield it um, from, from the clients. But actually, as time went on and we saw the quality, there's nothing to be ashamed of. These are quality people delivering quality work. And I think now it's about lead with, lead, lead with, your, with your front foot. This is your new person. Uh, they're based in Belgrade or where it is. They are very, very good. They know this is their level of expertise. Maybe they're a technical SEO and they're really up to up to point. You know, there's a Google Core algorithm update yesterday, and they've already been uh, giving us a full full download on it before we've even seen it on Search Engine Journal. Or maybe they're a GA4 expert and they know. You know, it's a very short supply skill at the moment, and it's something they know a lot about. So, if they're good. Uh, and you put them in front of a client, by the end of that call, the client's going to be like, they're amazing. You know, if they can't justify their existence, you know, it should be the same whether they're in Croatia or whether in London. As long as, long as you're putting good people in front of them, the client's really, that's all they care about. And because of the fact that everybody's working from home now, and clients as much as agencies and, you know, clients, they want to be doing video meetings as much as everyone else. They're, they're kind of... Think of like, well, we're all in an office here and that person's just in on video. That's not even a consideration anymore. Well, it's not anymore, is it? I mean, I think that's the thing, is, especially in SEO, you know, India and, and design development, India was always, uh, you know, it's a booming place. But, but if all of a sudden you said all our people are now in India, that they, they instantly think that you're saving money and you're, you're taking yeah. a, a cheap... So that's the thing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's about kind of making sure that the client sees the benefit of them. Yeah, yeah. Somebody who's not in the UK. If you focus on client delays and the, your customer being delighted with the output that you're producing as an agency, and if it's a step up from what they're getting, then I think in our experience, I mean, there's a lot of anecdotes of the first time we had a PM or AM person kind of in front of the client. We didn't want to do it ourselves. We literally had to because somebody was off or whatever it is. And one of the PMs who was supposed to kind of be just a second line PM behind the lines, kind of covering the, the JIRA and the project management tools. And, and we had to get him to cover for somebody uh, for a few days or a week or something like that. And I remember the clients calling me and saying, you know what, I, can we keep this, this project manager? He's so much better and we're really happy with him. And from then on, we thought, okay, well, yeah, it's actually it's not a thing. Uh, as long as, uh, and that's for client-facing roles. I mean, you know, for your customer-facing roles, you, typically you want somebody who's, who has the right type of personality as well. Uh, so the same way you assess a client-facing person who's based in the UK, you do the yeah, same yeah. assessment, make sure they're, they're good for you as an agency. That's brilliant. So how do people get started on this then? How, how you know, say, um, say I'm looking now, okay, I want to build out my, one of my teams, um, come to you guys, how, how would we start working together? Well, we'll have a discovery session first to understand what are the areas that you're looking, where you have the most kind of uh, shortages or, or you need the most people more urgently. 
and then giving you some options, tackling those. Obviously, we'll, we'll look into kind of, you know, if it's developers, do, are they, do they have access to kind of data? Do they have to be in the EU or not? Is it a specialist area or not? And we'll come up with some, with some solutions for you. And then once we deal with the urgent stuff, then we'll hopefully start working with you on taking a more proactive uh, talent mapping approach to, 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 to talent acquisition in the future. We can also help identify areas that you may not have even considered Sometimes not, not even just remotely or not, but like at all, because, you know, having run an agency in tech business for 14 years, we've hired a lot of different types of people. We've done a lot of different internal exercises to determine new roles that should be hired. I mean, we used to do job audits at least a couple of times a year where we'd get an entire team in a room and we'd just repeatedly ask them, what do you like about your job? What don't you like about your job? Tell us all the tasks that you're doing. And it's down to the nth degree. Then we'll go away and look at it. And I mean, the first time we did that with the project management team, they were doing six jobs and they are more on the higher end of the salary scale. So as well as being PMs and AMs, which was a fairly tightly knit role, they were doing QA, they were doing first line support, uh, they were doing data entry, they were doing some technical SEO. It was crazy. So we went then went off and spun up a QA team and we spun up a first line support team, much cheaper salaries and also people that are specialists in that area, the PMs were able to take on more clients and they were happier because they were just doing the things that they wanted to do and the other teams were happier and so on. So the, these are also the kind of insights that we can we can lend as well with, with clients. Um, so I'm looking at roles, you know, it's so common that we speak to people where their devs are doing too much QA or whatever and it's like, you don't, you really shouldn't be shouldn't be doing that because they're not going to enjoy it and it's you're spending more money. Than and they're too expensive to be spending their yeah. time on that. Mm. But that, that goes back to the, you know, not being able to recruit, I guess, more junior people, isn't it, during COVID? Is that, is that yes, a result of that? Partly, partly yeah. that, partly because people didn't take the time. Uh, you know, we know how running an agency goes. You just kind of, you know, sometimes it just feels like going from fire to fire, from acquiring a client to kind of making sure a client is happy to making sure, you know, the next crisis or the next big thing that, you know, so... The priority list is so long that certain things stay on the bottom when they're mm -hmm. so crucial to your growth and to your success as an agency. And it's one of the things that will help you kind of have a better uh, organization. So going, going back to those agency days, is that, you know, what made you get out of, of owning agency? What, what, why did you decide to, to pack the bags up there and go uh, into well, this? It's, it's something that, you know, we, we've done it for a long time. We had a lot of approaches and then... One day, it was the right approach that we felt for us, you know, this is what we built this for. It's, uh, it's time to kind of, uh, you know, capitalize on, on all the work that we've done. And, and, and you know, I think every agency owner uh, hopefully thinks about building something they can exit eventually. Maybe not. Maybe they want to just keep doing it indefinitely. I don't know. For us, it was just about getting a, a good uh, proposition. And we started already working on Prodigy three years prior. So you kind of had this on the back burner that was kind of part of the exit plan, was it? Exactly, exactly. So we had that already kind of starting to take shape and we thought, you know what, we'd love to do this. So we're still in the agency world, we're still working in the tech industry, but this is something that we see uh, carries, you know, a lot of potential that we'd like to kind of invest our efforts uh, in this for the, for, for the next, I don't know, 10, 15 years again. Mm. Yeah. That's clever because, I mean, you know, building that in-house recruitment is obviously it solves one of the problems doesn't it straight away you've got you've got the pick of the talent and everything else and then like you say you've, you've built this in the background you can then specialize that as a whole whole new business 
Yes, and, it, and it's something that what I like about it is it really helps uh, helps organizations solve a real problem. Mm. Uh, for us, that was the biggest problem before we, we got good at this. The biggest problem was finding good people uh, and finding them quickly enough. That was really the thing that stressed us the most. When somebody, when you win a project and the, the head of development say, well, I haven't got people enough people to develop this. I need another two and I need another three or four uh, members of, of the team and I need them now. Otherwise, they're going to be delays, and you think, like, God, I'm going to have to go and find people and pay recruitment fees and, and interview, and still these people might turn up to be good or not. So that was that was a real big problem for us. And when we, when we solved it, I thought, can you imagine if we can help other people, you know, sleep better at night from, from at least about this particular uh, issue? There just isn't enough talent in in the UK at the moment, and, and you know whether that gets better or not. I think is, is, is going to take a bit of time. I think what COVID has done is has kind of almost halted a, a generation there, two or three years worth perhaps, of people coming into the industry yeah. at the level they were. And it's, it's made the situation, especially on top of the demand going up, it's, it's you know, something's, you've got to find a new solution, right? And um, freelance is one. Perhaps, you know, it gives agencies that opportunity to suddenly say that they're global, I suppose, by having a... Yeah. <laughs> you've seen that all the time, haven't you? P.O. box in a different country and all of a sudden they've got a foreign office. But I think, like, having the option to have those hubs as well overseas is, is a real opportunity for people to actually go into new territories and new markets as well. So I think it's... No, totally. And, yeah, I mean, the benefits are endless. I mean, you think about it, there's the benefit, obviously, from a cost-saving uh, point of view, from having best talents quicker. But there's also, if you are, for example, for you, Chris, you're in SEO, mm. having multilingual staff could be very useful. Yeah, and again, we're getting more and more demand for that. So, actually, yeah, you know, it's, it, it makes sense in a lot of ways, definitely. And a lot of these uh, sort of, uh, at, at least in Europe, a lot of these uh, uh, tech talents, they're polyglots. They speak three, four languages. I mean, mm. I spoke to one recently. I was shocked. They were fluent in like four or five different languages and, you know, German, French, whatever. And I thought, okay, well, this could be useful for an SEO company because, you know, a lot of e-commerce uh, clients potentially have multilingual, multi-location, multi-national uh, sites that need to be kind of, you know, looked after. And, and if you could build new capabilities, uh, um, that could be also, also positive for sure. Cool. Well, thank you very much for coming on. It's been really, really interesting talking to you both. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Thanks for Chris. having us. Last one. Cool. Thank you. You've been listening to Confessions of an Agency Owner with me, Chris Ailey. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, subscribe to my newsletter, and find out more about my agency at honchosearch.com. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Until next time.